Thanks again, worship team. Um, good to see you guys again for the third time this morning. I feel like we could probably leave this morning and be already fully enriched by all that we've seen around this morning, huh? I tell you, I feel like I'm along for the ride for what you guys are doing in ministry around this area, in this community, around the world. Um, um, Mikey, we're proud of you. Thanks for sharing this morning, man. And, uh, and good stuff. All kinds of things going on. I'm grateful for you guys. I want you to know you found us this morning in a, in a series called Anchor Point. We're actually about halfway through this guy. And the idea, the reason behind Anchor Point is that we want to have a place, an anchor to hold to in the middle of a life that will continue to move and pull us away from things that are true and right. As we continue to grow and deal with different issues, there will be challenges to what you think you really believe. And I don't care how old you are or how old you get, there's never a point where you will not stop asking questions and wondering or doubting or worrying or wondering, is this really true, what I hold on to. And so this morning, as we get back into Anchor Point, we want to kind of rally around this idea again. Peter, one of the followers of Jesus, one of the most charismatic followers of Jesus, wrote this little letter to the group of people um, who were kind of out in the boonies, if you will. And, uh, and he wrote it. And here's what he said at the end of it in terms of why he wrote. He said, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. And we show this at the beginning every time. If you're here for all of our Anchor Point series, this is what we're going to do every time. Because we want to remind you, this is why he wrote. He said, this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. This is the gospel. This is what is true. Of all the things that you can hold on to, of all the things that you can kind of anchor your mind and your heart to as you're growing up, as you're dating, as you're getting married, as you're trying to find a job, as you're breaking up with people, as you're losing a job, as you're transitioning out of one area to another as you're dealing with health crisis, as you're dealing with doubts in your faith, when you're dealing with parents who are kind of pushing in on you and family stress and all the stuff that you're dealing with. Peter's saying, if you want to know what the grace of God looks like, this is the true grace of God. And then he says, stand fast in it. So it makes me curious. What did you write about, Peter? What is the true grace of God? What is it? What does it look like? What does it mean? And so, therefore, we go through the letter that he wrote and say, this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. So we're on a little journey to kind of explore how Peter explains the true grace of God. Now, by way of quick review, and I'm not going to go over all of the messages that we've done to this point, but I am going to go over a couple. When we began this series, we hit this big idea, which, if, again, if you get nothing else out of the series and just get this, I think you will have gotten it. We began by saying that I am not the center of the universe and God is, and that is just a life changer, kind of a game changer for you if you'll allow that to sink into your mind and heart. That not everything has to be explained to you and God can still be in control. This is hard, but let's talk specifics for a minute. So Alicia Met gets off the roller coaster at Hershey Park and you want to know why does something like that happen to someone so young? Is God still in charge? Yes. Is she the center of the universe? No. Okay. And she would say that, you know, Mikey's situation cancer in any context. We don't need all of the answers given to us, and God is still at the center of the universe, and we are not. That's a hard reality to face, but it's, it's, it's reality. We don't need to have all the answers. There's some things we just need to know, and that is God is in 
the center, and I am not. I wish I understood everything. I wish I had an answer for everything. I don't. This will be a game changer for you and a, and a worldview shifter for you if you don't need to have everything explained to you and can have some element of trust in a God who's at the center of the universe. Okay? Now, last week we went to this issue, that, uh, uh, simply this. <laughs> you belong. <laughs> this is so loving the way I put this. Get used to it. <laughs> not compassionate and kind. And third, it's not about you. And that's also compassionate and kind and loving, isn't it? You belong, get used to it, and it's not about you. We talked about kind of the God saying to, to the, the believers that you're a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, you're a, you're a holy nation, you're pulled apart for me to bring glory to me. That no matter what gifts you bring to the table, no matter what you think about your gifts or your abilities, I'm just telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you belong in the body. You belong. You absolutely belong. And don't let anyone tell you anything differently. It's just not true. You belong. That is true. It's also true that it's not about you, and you've got to get used to that. Get used to the fact that you belong, number one. Number two, get used to the fact that you belong so that you can bring glory to God in what you do. And that's what we covered last week, that ultimately being a part of the priesthood of believers, being part of the chosen people of God is saying, man, it is, it is for the benefit of people around me. It is for the benefit of God that I do this. All right. So that's where we were last week. That's where we are, big picture. Some tough stuff to wrestle with, but some good stuff that Peter writes about. Now, this morning I want to take you on, a, on another... Um, a path here with Peter, and he writes about a little thing that at first glance I think, eh, okay, kind of important, but is it really all that important? Um, and it's really this issue of, of who is in charge in the, the phases or places of life that I find myself, and what, is the, what are the issues related to how I respond to people in authority over me? Now, for, for a minute, go with me here. Um, when I was a kid, there were times, and I'm curious if you experienced this, but there were times when my parents, who are here visiting this morning, mom and dad, they can clarify if this is wrong, but not right now, later, okay. Um, they would leave, and I have an older sister, and they would say, Tim, Timmy, your sister is in charge while we're gone. Now, how do you think I took that? And I would say, you know, that's awesome. I love to respond to my older sister. I will do whatever she says, whenever she says it. There will be no problems here. That was about right, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, I think so. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly how it went. So can you imagine right, how that goes when you're in a context, and that's probably happened to you as well, where an older sibling or something has been in charge of you for even just a few minutes of time, certainly not for too long because they knew what would happen, but just even for a little bit, like we need to, just for a couple minutes. I would, I would everything within me would push back against that, like, Arr! Like, oh, I'm only doing this because I know that you're coming back sometime and then I'm going to have to respond to you. But I don't really want to respond to my sister who's in charge of me. And isn't it just part of our human nature not to want to submit to authority that we did not approve of in the first place? Isn't it just human nature to say, no, I'm not going to respect, I'm not going to trust, I'm not going to give to that person who's over me because I didn't want them there in the first place? Isn't that kind of how it works? You ever feel that way with a teacher in school? You ever feel like, man, I, why do I have to be in this class? Why do I have to be in this section? Why do I have to be here? This teacher is so... Mm, they're an authority. You didn't choose them. You just had them. What are you going to do about that? You ever feel that way about your landlord? Like, ah, oh, 
It was the cheapest rent, but now I know why it's the cheapest rent. I mean, good grief. I can't believe I have to deal with my landlord like this. You ever feel that way with your boss? <laughs> Man, I knew this job was too good to be true. They just never get it with me. I'm so, ooh, so frustrated that things aren't going the way I wish they were. You ever feel that way with politicians? Move on from that one quickly. <laughs> All right. Local government authorities, right? Ever feel that way? Ever feel that way with zoning issues that you're trying to get something cleared and you can't get it cleared because they're not having another meeting for a little while and someone's going to put up a little fight against it and you can't get what you want and you're like, the rules are dumb. Like, why do I have to? That doesn't even make sense. And who put you in charge in the first place? Ever feel that way? Ever feel like, man, the people who are making rules about the taxes around here and the way that it's impacting whatever, my, my farming, right, my, my business, they don't, they've never even been in my shoes. I mean, they haven't even ever worked in the business that I've worked in. You're kidding me? They're sitting there in, in Harrisburg or sitting there in Washington making rules for me? They don't even know what it's like. You ever feel that way? No, none of you have. Isn't it funny that how we respond to authority becomes a spiritual issue in a hurry, doesn't it? becomes a spiritual issue in a hurry. And ultimately, it's a question of who do we see is really in charge? Who do we see is really in charge? And Peter is going to say to the people at this time, and you need to remember that he's writing to people who are experiencing persecution, suffering, and trouble from the authorities. They're, they're, he's writing to people who are feeling the pushback of the authorities on their social lives, on their religious lives, their spiritual lives, on their economic well-being. They're getting pushback on all levels from the authorities over them. And Peter is writing to them in a way to respond to the authorities. And I'll tell you now, it's different than what you and I want to respond by default. And it will feel different. And Peter knows it. And so he reminds his people early on of a statement that he's made two other times in his letter, and he tells them, and we'll get to it in a second, but he's going to tell them, remember who you are. You are aliens and you are strangers. And so the things that we're asking you to do for the gospel will feel strange. They will feel like no one else is doing them. That's right. No one else is respecting. That's right. Everyone else is joining in the criticism. That's right. And you're not. That's right. It feels weird. That's right. You're an alien, you're a stranger in this land, and you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, respond differently to authority than people who are not followers of Jesus Christ. Let's get into it in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, not a problem. There's one in the, in the pew around you. Um, it's in the right third of your Bible there. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you here this morning. Uh, to take from here. Uh, it is in the New Testament, after Hebrews, after James, you'll find this little letter to 1 Peter, just a clue, it comes right before 2 Peter. No response on that whatsoever. Thank you for the delayed response. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. And he writes, dear friends, and he's writing to people now who are, this is, uh, who are believers in Jesus Christ. This is actually covenantal language taken from the Old Testament. Uh, it's hard to translate into English, but he's basically drawing them back in with the Abrahamic covenant. I'll explain that later. He says, I urge you, I urge you. So this is a compelling, this is a mm, please, a pleading. Come on, earnestly asking, I urge you. And then as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against the soul. Right? So kind of keep your mind, your heart pure, pull away from things that will get you uh, involved in things you shouldn't be involved in. Verse 12, 
Then he says, live such good lives among the pagans, that is those who are not followers of Jesus, those who don't worship uh, Jesus and the God of the Bible. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits you. And I want you to see how important this is for Peter. He begins now in this section, and then actually on through the letter, um, he will begin to underscore and talk about this whole idea of good. And we will see do good, doing good, do good, do good, 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 do good, doing good, over and over and over and over and over and over again throughout this letter. Peter's response to persecution, Peter's response to authorities that are making you suffer, to people that you don't like, who you think, this is unjust, I cannot believe they're making me do whatever, I cannot believe they're being so unfair, I cannot believe that I have to sit under the authority that I didn't even ask for, and Peter's response is, do good. Do good. But you don't get it, Peter. No, no, you don't get it. You don't understand what's really happening. You don't understand how much I have to pay. You don't understand how much I have to give. You don't understand my reputation that could go. You don't understand. And Peter's saying, you're an alien and a stranger in this world. And I'm just telling you, you're living differently. You're not from around here in this sense. Do good. In the middle of things that you don't like, do good. So that, and he says, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So that your doing good is actually a way to show the people around you and show the authorities around you and show the teacher around you, the boss around you, the family members around you, the people around you, showing them what is wrong with these people? What, why are they doing good in the middle of things that are wrong? Because they know that they are not the center of the universe. Their God is. And they're bringing glory to God. And so here's what I think. If I could summarize what Peter is saying in this and the coming verses, here's what I think he's saying about how we respond to authority. He's saying this, you'll see it up here, that God is always above whoever is above me. That believers will understand that God is always above whoever is above me. Whoever that is. If that's a teacher, if that's a township supervisor, if that's a a zoning officer, if that's an inspector on the construction site, if that is uh, an immediate supervisor, a manager, a direct report, if that's a fellow employee put in charge of you for a second, if if that is a sister put in charge of you for 10 minutes while your parents go out the door to do something, okay, God is above whoever is above me. And it's going to be my choice, it's going to be your choice to respond to God in the right way with whoever is above me. And when I respond poorly to whoever is above me, then I am in truth responding poorly to God. Because I'm essentially saying, God, I think you're not in charge of this situation. I think authority ends with the person above me. And Peter's going to say, in the middle of all that you're, you're dealing with, I want you to remember, do good. And people are like, well, Peter, I don't know if you really get what we're dealing with. And he's like, I get it. Check it out. And he keeps writing in verse 13. So he says this in verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake 
to most authorities instituted among men. Is that what yours says? Let me read that again. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to, to every or all authority instituted among, and what's that next word? Men instituted among men. To every authority instituted among men. That's pretty, I don't know, universal. But wait, you don't... But the people in charge were put there by corrupt dictators. The people in charge are put there by people who are not believers. The people who are in charge don't get it. All right. So what's your play? Peter says, submit yourself to every authority. Every authority. Instituted among men. Then he goes on, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is by God, for it is God's will that by doing what? Good. Doing good, again, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Here's what you need to know. At this time, uh, there were uh, rumors about the Christians in, in this area. And one of the rumors was that these guys um, eat the flesh of babies, kind of weird, okay, and drink their blood. Now, you need to know that there is great, this is early, 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 like Christianity and the church are just getting off the ground. This is early, early. So there's really not a track record here. This is new stuff, um, because it's not Judaism. This is a different deal. And so there are rumors going around about these people. Not only are they talking about a, a future world and judgment that's to come, but then the rumors start, like, hmm, well, the fire in, in, in Rome, that's a big problem. But also the fact that they, like, they eat, they're cannibals. And where do you think that comes from? From communion. They follow someone who says that, uh, essentially, you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood. But this idea that the, the uh, body and blood...
Now, this may seem funny, but this is where Peter goes. And it's actually, he actually attributes high value to slaves because slaves, before Peter writes, you need to know that slaves weren't even talked about as people. And so for Peter even to write this to slaves, he is giving dignity to slaves, even in addressing them in a letter. Because normally they're just talked over as if they don't exist. And Peter doesn't do that. He speaks right into them, verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. <clears throat> For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, <clears throat> excuse me, because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. There is a very um, clear parallel between slaves and masters and today's world of bosses, employees. Just a simple parallel for me. In other words, for you and for me, man, when your boss is being ridiculous, when the authority over you in terms of your employment is being crazy and you just wish they weren't around and they, they would get and all that, he's saying, if you've done something wrong and you deserve the little discipline, a little chastisement you get, great, endure it. You don't get credit for that because you did something dumb in the first place. But if they're being ridiculous as a boss and you endure that in, in the right way and with respect and honor, man, good on you. And not only good on you, but good on the God you serve because you've done something that other people don't do. Instead of at the water cooler talking about the boss, instead of on Facebook complaining about the job, right? Instead of with your family and with other coworkers saying, man, I can't believe this person is such a whatever, you've chosen a different route. You've chosen to honor the king. You've chosen to honor and submit to those in front of you because you know that God is above everyone who's above you. That's what you know. Now, the question is, how can I do this? This becomes difficult. How can I do this? 
given my context, because truly I don't know your story. I don't know your context. I don't know your authority figures in your life. I don't know the people in charge of you. I, I get that. There's some people who are really corrupt and terrible and all that. I understand that. Um, so here's where Peter goes, because he knows that the, the people who he's writing to are going to say, but Peter, whoa, you don't live here. Like, you don't, you don't get what we're dealing with. You don't know how hard this is to think about this daily, to get up and say, I'm going to choose to honor and respect the people above me, knowing that God is above whoever is above me. That, that's a hard ask. It's a big ask to do that. And so Peter just kind of goes, he pulls out the trump card. And he, he says this in verse 21. To this you are called, <clears throat> because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So in other words, you've got it hard, absolutely. But you claim, you claim that you follow Jesus. So if you claim that you follow Jesus, you need to know, and I need to know, we need to know, Jesus already did this, and he set us an example. Verse 22, check it out. He committed no sin. Okay, I'm already off the chart on that. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Can you imagine that? You ever make a threat? I'm telling you, if things don't get better, I'm going to... Like, I can't, I can't work for this person anymore. Like, this is just killing me. <clears throat> and if you don't give me what I need... I'm telling you, I need to go. I mean, I, I don't want to put an ultimatum on it, but if I don't get a raise here in the next six months, I'm going to have to look elsewhere. I mean, if things don't change, you know, here we go. No deceit was found in his mouth. Always told the truth. Always was clear. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. The end of verse 23 is so critical for getting this. It is so critical for understanding how Jesus responded to this. And this is the point, if you could... Strip away everything else. This, I believe, rises to the surface in this section. This is so important. This little sentence at the end of verse 23. Instead, so here's his choice. Instead of choosing to do what everybody else does and rebel against that authority and be critical of this authority and talk bad about it and wishing things were different and just being critical and negative, instead, he made a choice. And that is where you will find yourself and I find myself regularly. Instead, instead, living as a stranger and alien in this world and as a follower of this man. Instead of just getting pulled along by the current that will pull you away from your anchor point. Instead of that. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Instead of choosing the easy path of criticism and frustration and anger and backbiting and gossip and bitterness and all that comes with that, of wishing the people in charge of you knew better and were smarter. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In other words, he knew that God is above whoever is above me. It doesn't end with my teacher. It doesn't end with my coach. It doesn't end with my landlord. It doesn't end with my boss. It doesn't end with my spouse. It doesn't end with the, the family matriarch or patriarch. It doesn't end with the leadership of the church. It doesn't end with the leaders of the government. It doesn't end there. Whoever's above you, God is above them. 
And in that moment of injustice, Jesus made that choice to say, I'm going to entrust myself and my future, my future well-being, beyond the authority that I see right now. I'm going to entrust myself to him who judges justly. I'm going to entrust myself now to him who judges justly. And I'm going to remember that God is above whoever is above me. And here's what happens when we do that. When we do that, our life becomes a benefit and a blessing to everyone around us. Because all of a sudden, you're not living for you anymore. And this is exactly what Jesus' life is for us, isn't it? Look at the text again, verse 24. Classic verse of our faith. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been, what's that word? Healed. By his wounds you have been healed. By his choice to entrust himself to one who judges justly, the things that make you broken have been healed. His life has become a blessing to you because he chose to respond right to the authority of man over him at that time and understand that God is above anybody who's above him. And when you make that choice to do good in the midst of things that are hard, your life becomes a blessing to the people around you. That's what happened to Jesus, and that's what happens to us. Not only is it a blessing for people, but it brings the honor and glory to God. Verse 25, you were like sheep going astray, but now you return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And the very reason that the people that Peter is writing to could come to the shepherd and overseer of his souls is because Jesus, in that time, when he was on the cross, while he could have said, this is unfair. Come on, you guys don't know who I am. Don't you understand? Don't you understand who I am? What kind of ridiculous court system is this? What kind of injustice is this? He had every right to rebel against the authority instituted among men to put him on the cross, and he didn't. Instead, instead, he chose to entrust himself to him who judges justly. And as a result, we have been healed. And as a result, we have been brought to the God who is above every authority instituted above among men. What can we do with this? Here's what I have to say, a couple things. Because God is always above, whoever's above me, let me put it this way. We have a choice. Number one, to trust him. <clears throat> so I don't know where you find yourself now. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what frustration you have, what anxiety you have about the money that is due to the landlord, about the taxes that are due, about the boss situation you're in and what might happen to your employment. Um, I don't know what kind of situation you find yourself in with your family and the stress that you have uh, within that context. But if, if God is above every authority and everyone who's above me, then we have a choice. And this becomes a choice in the mind and in the heart to say, I'm going to trust. I'm going to entrust myself to him who judges justly. I don't know the future. I don't know about my well-being, but I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. And that becomes a choice. Secondly, do good. Do good. In the middle of injustice, in the middle of suffering, do good. Simple things. You have a teacher you don't like. You have a teacher who's, who doesn't get it, who's unfair. Help clean up after class. Offer to take things off their plate. You have a boss who's being critical of you and your work. Get there early and see how you can help. Stay late to clean up. Not because you want to, because it's doing good. You have a landlord who's being oppressive and kind of 
squeezing every nickel and dime out of you. Offer to help clean up around the complex. Offer to help repaint your place at no cost to them. Do good. Do good. And you know what happens in those contexts, don't you? Of course you do. They say, why? How? What? Tell me. And you become a blessing to the people around you who end up getting their hearts turned to say, but why? And you say, because there's a God that I serve, and in my freedom I'm serving him. Let me tell you about him. Here's what he's asked me to do. We live differently. That's who I am. Number three, in your freedom, in your freedom, serve God. In your freedom, serve him. In your freedom, know that your service to your boss you don't like and your teacher you don't like, your, your um, uh, landlord you don't like, your whatever, your accountant you don't like, your township supervisor you don't like, the inspector you don't like, or whatever, okay? And, and all that, use your freedom that you have to serve God in the middle of it. Use your freedom to serve God in the middle of it. I want you to think for a minute. Can you imagine what our community would be like if we became a group of people who did this consistently? Can you imagine what it would be like if we became a group of people who served even people we didn't like, even authority systems that we didn't care for, and we just served them well? We did good. Simple. We did good in the context in which we found ourselves. Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine the accusations that would kind of get watered down? Can you imagine the, the funny eyes that people have toward Christians in the church that might just kind of get softened a little bit? Can you imagine what it would do in our community if the church became known as a place that serves well, does good, doesn't need to, to make everybody believe first the way they do before they do good? but serves anyway, can you imagine what would happen? I almost can. I almost can because I see seeds of it growing in what we call the Together Initiative. I see seeds of it growing in that. That initiative is about serving the common good in our community, asking the authority structures among us the school district, the townships, the businesses. How can we help? How can we serve? How can we do good? Do we need to agree to every agenda they have? No. We don't need to. But we can still serve, right? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that momentum will look like? I don't know if I was going to tell you this this morning, but I'm going to just for the fun of it. Um, I want you to know this, this Together initiative is continuing to, to move forward, continuing to roll forward and grow. Um, and I, I want you to know that we've been asked to share in four different workshops at a national conference in Nashville, Tennessee in October. Uh, it's called the AHA Process Conference, and basically people are wondering, how is it that a community begins working together? To us, we're like, it's just not rocket science. You go sit down with people and say, how can you help? Um, I just feel like, you really want us to say that? Come and talk to people and say... That's what we say, and what more do you want us to say? You know, and we figure it out from there. But, like, yeah, that's, that's really profound. Yeah. So we're going to go to Nashville and say, how can you help? That's kind of that's what we do. But I want you to know this. 
Um, but we're taking it a little bit of a step further um, in our trip to Nashville, and we have um, a growing team. And, uh, check, check this out. We're trying to figure out how can we continue to grow and leverage the Together movement um, and continue to speak about what's happening uh, at the togetherforthegood.com website and together in our community. And so we thought we need to use this opportunity to, to gain a broader platform to speak about this. So we're, we're going to do something that we hope will make people ask the question or stop and say, what? Why? So we're taking um, a team of about 15 bike riders to ride nonstop to Nashville, Tennessee in October for the Together Initiative. <laughs> Want to come? We're going to rotate on the road, relay type system, and go about 50 hours to Nashville. Point being, want to have an opportunity when we get there and here, to, to say, whoa, why are you doing that? Let me tell you. Let me tell you why. We're working together for the common good in this community, and we believe so much in what we're doing, we want to take every opportunity we can to emphasize that, to push that, to move that. And what's behind all of this? What's behind all this for me? What's behind all this for the church? I believe we serve a God who is a God of both common grace and special grace, specific grace. A God who causes the sun to shine, the rain to fall, and the evil and the good, the righteous and the unrighteous. Who tells us, do good where you are. Do good. We talk about doing the social, spiritual, and cultural good. Do good where you are. Because we know that what Peter's talking about here is true. That God is always above whoever is above us. So we're going to hit Nashville. We're going to ride down there. We hope that it becomes a thing where we can keep talking about the Together Initiative. Because I can see the seeds of what is growing in the Together Initiative in this community continuing to grow and grow and grow and push and push and push into exactly the kind of thing that Peter is writing to, to the believers about in the first century. Continue to do good. Serve those in authority over you. Serve the community in which you're in. Do this good. Ultimately, why? In verse 12, it says again, for the glory of God. For the glory of God. That his name can be made known. Because this is, this is who he is, a God who calls us to say, listen, set it aside, set the agenda aside. If your parents ask you as a younger brother to have your sister in charge of you, and you push back against that, know this. God is above. Whoever is above you. You may hate it, you may push back, but how you respond to that shows to the world the God that you serve or the God that you don't serve. And Peter's telling you and telling me, come on, think about it. Imagine what it could be like for a community of people to do good and serve, serve, serve in the context of where we find ourselves here. God is always above whoever is above you. And I'm excited about where God is leading and taking us and moving us. And we just want to keep following. Love you guys. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity this morning to be here, to be together, to be growing, learning, seeing how it is that you can move us and shape us and grow us. And I pray that you would give us the courage to make these tough calls, <clears throat> to set our egos aside, to set our agendas aside, to say, man, at the end of the day, I know <clears throat> that I serve a God who is above anyone who's above me. And because of that, I'm using my freedom to serve the people who are right above me. 
that we honor and we do good to those who are above us, even if we don't like them, even if they are unjust to us, even if we're criticized, that this is part of what believers in Jesus Christ do because Jesus did it himself when he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So, Father, we thank you that in the middle of this, as we're struggling to figure out what it looks like to do this well, to serve you well, that we have a God who not only calls us to this, but has given us an example of what it means to do this. And so I pray that we would run to you, that we would lean on you, that we would trust in your name to give us the strength that we need to do what we need to do. It is hard, but it is good. So give us that courage, give us that vision to keep coming right back to you, to your name, to your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with us for the closing song.